This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Here's the text for our series. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and it says this in the NLT, for God called you to do good. How many do-gooders are there out there today? All right, a few of you. God calls you to do good, even if it means suffering. For just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. And you might want to follow, you could follow, you should follow, you have the option to follow. No, you must follow in his steps. You must follow. The first week, we talked about the importance of of asking the question and answering the question, I should say, what road are you on? We looked at the narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction. And then last week we talked about letting the Holy Spirit be our guide, receiving directions from him. And I asked the question, where are you going? Where are you going? Today I wanna ask the question, and I wanna follow up the last two weeks with this. Who's going with you? Who's going with you? Who's coming with you? Uh, you guys remember that movie, Jerry Maguire, from years ago? So Jerry Maguire uh, is, is an agent, a sports agent played by Tom Cruise. And in the movie, he uh, is just wrapped up in money. He's wrapped up in fame and success and, and chasing that elusive rabbit. And he gets to a place where his, his boss fires him from the agency that he's working from. And there's this rousing speech that Jerry gives to the people. He says, who's coming with me? You guys remember this scene? Anybody? Remember this scene? And he's walking around the office and he's asking the question, who's coming with me? And nobody's answering him and it's getting real awkward and it's getting real embarrassing. So he goes over to the fish tank and he, he grabs the goldfish. He's like, the goldfish is coming with me. And he's like, all right, well, anybody else go with me? And then of course, Dorothy, you know, played by Renee Zellweger, she said, she's like, I'm going with you, Jerry. And he's like, yes. All right, let's go. And I want to ask some of us today, who's going with you? On this journey called life, on this journey called being a disciple of Jesus, on this journey called following after Jesus, who's going with you? Who's following you as you follow Christ? Paul said this, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 11. So we're talking about not just followership. We're talking about leadership today. We're talking about what it means to lead people to Christ, what it means to have people come with you on this journey that all of us are called to walk on. John Maxwell defines leadership simply as this, as influence, the ability to influence other people around you. Now, we know that you can influence people for the good, and you can also influence people for the bad, right? There's good leadership and there's bad leadership. There's good influence and there's bad influence. There's this term in our culture today called influencer. You guys familiar with it? For those of you that are on social media, you are. And it's this idea that people on a platform through technology can influence your decision making on what you buy, on how you look, ladies, on what makeup or products you use, what you do with your hair. Come on, men. What weights you lift, what podcasts you listen to, influencing. And we have so many people today in our culture that have been given a platform to become influencers. The question I have is, what are we doing with our influence, church? We're called to be what? Salt and light. Salt and light. What are we doing with our influence? What are you doing with your influence? Maybe you're like, 
but Pastor Jason, I'm not really an influencer. I don't really, you know, have a platform. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And your workplace or your family or your friends are the people that God has called you to influence. Today, we're going to be looking at this in greater detail. Paul viewed his own life as an influencer. Paul, as I just said, said, follow me as I follow Christ. He wanted his life to point people to Jesus. He wanted to influence people for the kingdom. And just as he himself was following Christ, he was always pouring out his life in service of and in helping lead other people because he understood this principle. He understood this leadership influence principle. Now, if we want to talk about a perfect leader, all we have to talk about is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was the perfect influencer. And I love Jesus because Jesus told stories that people could relate to. He used language that they were familiar with. He did things that captured their heart and their imagination. You know what I love about movies? Movies are great because movies just capture our imagination, right? Jesus was, was one of the, the, the best examples of somebody who could tell a story and capture the imagination of all the people. And he did so in ways that were sometimes frustrating to the religious. Sometimes the people that had the, the least idea of who God was were the people that were the most frustrated. And the people that were the most broken and lost and discouraged and frustrated were the ones that understood what Jesus was getting at. Jesus was a perfect leader. He was the most influential leader that ever lived. And not only did he have this ability to connect with people and to capture their imagination through storytelling, he knew how to help them with practical things they were actually concerned about, they are actually worried about. Things like, how do I treat my neighbor? <laughs> how do I treat my enemies? How are you guys doing with that? <laughs> how do I learn how to love and forgive people that have hurt me? That's a hard one. Any of you guys struggle with that one? Just me? Okay. How do I make peace with people that are troublesome, that like to argue? Let me give you a little, little bit of advice. This is for free. It's not in my notes today. All right. Don't get into arguments with people on social media. <laughs> Don't, when you find yourself going to your keyboard and you're about to strap on your warrior spirit and you're going to like really let people know, just, just refrain. Okay. Don't get sucked into quarreling and foolish arguments, the Bible says. So how do we make peace with those kinds of people? How do we do that? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Or what about this? How do we invest or store up our treasure in heaven? We talked a little bit about that last week. Or even this, how do I make the most of my life here on earth? These are the kind of questions that Jesus helped people answer for themselves. Because he was concerned about the practical things they were concerned about because he knew how to use his influence for good. Jesus had real answers and he had solutions for people that were following him, that were looking to him, that were following in his footsteps. And I would say that he has real answers and solutions for those of us today who do the same. I would also argue that many of those answers and those solutions that he gave people um, actually involved the people that he was leading. So sometimes he would have his disciples go out and he would have them be the solution to the problem. He'd say, why don't you go out? I'm commissioning you. What did he do? He sent out two into villages and cities and had them heal the sick, had them lay hands on people. Jesus saw his leadership beyond just what he was able to physically do. He was able to raise up leaders and raise up people that, that went out and changed the world. Amen. So Jesus was always concerned about not just who was following him, but who was also who he was also able to empower and raise up 
for others to do the same. So once again, I want to ask this question today. I want to start with this. Who's going with you? Who is following you in your life right now? Today, let's look at three ways that we can address this question and become, I believe, the leaders that God wants us to become. Amen? Are you with me? All right. So to begin, have you given much thought to how God has already uniquely equipped you to minister to the people in your world? When's the last time you thought about the fact that God has actually created you anew in Christ Jesus for good works, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, but he's done so in a way that's very particular and very specific to the context that you're in. There's a reason why God placed me here in Utah and not in Zimbabwe. <laughs> now, I would love to go to Zimbabwe. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Just jump up and down and that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. I've been to Africa and I got to tell you, man, worship in Africa is next level. You guys think what we do here is extreme. It's not. Trust me. We're talking hours upon hours, dancing, jumping. I mean, it's, it's full on and I love it. But there's a reason why God placed me here in this context, I believe. And there's a reason why God's done the same with you. You might be like, but why? Why am I here? Why has God done this? We're going to get to that in a second. To begin, I want to, I want to ask this question. How has God uniquely equipped you to share your faith and your story with other people. Let's start there today, okay? Pastor Jim said something in his message a couple weeks back for those of you that were, were with us. He said, if you, he said a couple things that really caught my attention and he made this statement. He said, not all of us have the gift of evangelism, but all of us are called to be a witness. You guys remember that? All of us are called to be a witness. What's a witness? A witness is someone who is simply just sharing what they've seen, heard, tasted, and or experienced. Have you thought about the power of your story? Have you thought about the way in which you can be a witness to God's love in the lives of other people? Have you thought about the power of, of telling others around you what God has even done for you? I think sometimes we get intimidated with the word evangelism when re reality, all it is is just us being willing to tell people what God has done for us. And what has God done for you? Well, I can give you a laundry list of things God's done for me. He saved me. He's redeemed me. Come on, he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness. He's forgiven me of my trespasses and, and removed my iniquity. He's healed my mind. He's healed my body. He's transformed my thinking. I can go on and on and on and on. And he's given me a lot of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth chances. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody else could say, I'm a trophy of grace. Any trophies of grace today? I'm a, I'm a trophy of grace, you guys. I'm telling you what, and even though I've been walking with Jesus for over 35 years, I'm a trophy of grace. And I'm astounded at what the Lord does. Have you thought about what the Lord has done for you? Have you, have you actually taken the time to actually write it out? Here's, here's a kind of a practical exercise that I want us to think about, especially in this Easter season when people are kind of seeking and they're asking questions and they're thinking about ways in which they can engage with us. Have you ever written out your story, just your testimony of how God has worked in your life? If you haven't, I want you to go home today, okay, or this week and do this, write it out. Some of you who love to write, you'll probably have a few pages. That would be like me. I'm a writer. But take maybe, you know, an hour and just think about all the ways in which God has worked in your life and write those things out. Write out your, what I'm going to call your salvation story with Jesus. Get ownership of it. And if you haven't thought about 
your story with Jesus, or maybe you're still learning about Jesus, you haven't fully gone all in, I want to encourage you to take ownership of your story. Some people get really discouraged because they're like, oh, my story's not as wild and crazy as that guy's story. Anybody just ever hear a story of like someone who was just like on the street, you know, and they were on drugs and they were just like homeless and they're just going, and then all of a sudden God did a radical work in their life. And then they started a ministry and that ministry touched hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. And then they wrote the book and then they went on the, t- you're like, whoa, I can't compete with that. Can I tell you something? That's awesome. But every person's story is going to be unique. And every person's story is powerful. Your story is powerful. That's what I'm trying to stress this morning. Don't underestimate the little things that God does in your life either, the little details, the little ways in which he shows up because your story matters. Number one today, God wants us to share our story with others because our story matters. It's amazing what happens in spiritual conversations, those moments between the moments, I like to call them when we just share what God's been up to in our life. You know, people won't argue with that. They may argue with your doctrine. They may argue with what you have to say about the resurrection. They may have argue with you about a whole lot of things, but you know what they're not gonna argue with? They're not gonna argue with what God's done in your life if you've really been changed by him. And that's powerful today. Your story matters, and I believe God wants us to be willing to share our story with others. If we're gonna follow Jesus and have others follow us, we've gotta be willing to share our stories. I've often said that God will use your mess to be a part of your message. Anybody find themselves to be a little messy? (laughs) And I don't just mean with like your room or your laundry. I mean like in life. Am I talking to any messy folks out there today? Okay. And here's what I love about God. And we're singing about this morning. Just he is the God of redeeming our mess and turning it into our message. The things that kind of drive you crazy about people are sometimes the very thing that God will put his big, holy, heavenly finger on to redeem so that that can be a part of your witness and your story for Christ. It's powerful. So here's, a kind, of, here's kind of some helpful questions to think about that I want you to ask yourself as you're working through writing out your story. Could I do a 60-second elevator pitch if needed? If you were crammed in an elevator with somebody and someone said, tell me about Jesus, or tell me why you follow Jesus, or tell me what God's done for you, could you take about 60 seconds just to lay that all out? That's a good challenge, by the way. Think about that. Could I provide a quick snapshot of how God has showed up in my life and changed my heart? What details or highlights might I want to include in that? Think about that. What pain points, places of pain, should we include in our story? What addictions or fears or hurts has God rescued you from? What did the devil mean for evil that God has turned for good? I'll tell you what, you guys, that's powerful. And there are people in our lives, our neighbors, yeah, our friends, the people live across the street, our coworkers, our family members who don't know Jesus yet, who need to connect with those things. They need to connect with a real God through real stories about God. And sometimes we get kind of, I think, just sort of tempted to to fall into superfluous language and language that's not always helpful for people. We use Christianese and we use, you know, vocabulary and verbiage sometimes that just people just can't relate to, you know? So sometimes it's just amazing to me what happens when we we take the time to just be really intentional about how we're going to share our story with other people. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody willing to share their story with another person today. 
The Bible actually says that your story or your witness is really powerful. I want you to listen to this scripture from the book of Revelation chapter 12. It's one of my most favorite passages in scripture. And eventually we may do a series on Revelation here. I think that'd be pretty fun. But he says this, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority. Let's put that scripture up there if we have it. And the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before the throne of God. Wow. You guys know we have an accuser who is just constantly waging accusation against us? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. He's just trying to get you to, to fall into guilt and to shame and just to stay in that place. But here's what John, the revelator, says in verse 11. And they have conquered him. There it is. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. Next week, we're going to be talking about and celebrating the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Wow. They conquered the one who accuses by the blood and by the word of their story, by the word of their testimony. You know what that tells me? It tells me our stories are powerful, church. And you might be like, ah, yeah, but you know what? I don't have a big flashy story. Like I said, that's okay. You've got a story and it matters. God's done something in your life and he wants to use that to bring down the accuser in the lives of other people. He wants to literally conquer and eradicate the evil one through our testimony. Amen. And speaking of testimonies, next week we're going to share some here. And Easter Sunday is going to be just a, a perfect opportunity for people to hear stories and to hear some testimonies, some powerful stories of, of what Jesus has done, yes, but also what God's done for us as a church. So we're asking the question, who will you invite? Because we want people to be able to hear and engage with this story. It's going to be awesome. And I'm really, I'm really excited about it. So We've got to be willing, number one, to share our story with others. And number two, one of the best ways to invite people to follow you as you follow Jesus is by being willing to build relationships with others, build relationships. Now, this might seem a little simplistic on the surface, but it's actually one of the hardest things for us to do right now in our current cultural landscape. Why? Because relationships often require this precious little commodity we call time. How many of you guys would say, Pastor Jason, I am hard pressed for time, like all the time. <laughs> all right, now leave your hands up. All right, look around the room, okay? That's pretty much all of us. How many of you would say that you're good time managers? All right, a couple hands went up. Praise God. Guess what? You're now hired for hospitality and administration and, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, seriously, it, it's hard to manage our time, right? Because we're just so hard pressed to to deal with it. We've got things going on. We've got responsibilities. We've got work. We've got parties to get to, family, connections. I mean, it's just right, constant. For those of you who have kids, oh, my heart goes out to you today. It's just wild. And we live in a, in a moment, too, where I think it's become harder and harder to do this, to manage our time, because there are so many things competing for it. Would you guys agree with that today? This is why Paul, in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 5, implores us. He says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders and make the best use of the time. Now, if we could just do this, I think we would be in 
<laughs> We'd be in pretty good shape. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, meaning unbelievers. You know, don't get riled up. Don't get sucked into fleshly, foolish arguments. And make the best use of your time. Now, I, I am guilty of this, you guys. I, listen, sometimes I get distracted. Anybody else just struggle with distraction? I told, I told everybody last week that it's now proven, scientifically proven, that we all have the attention span that's less than that of a goldfish, okay? So we all get distracted. And when I'm with my kids sometimes, they'll see dad tune out and get distracted by stuff. I'll start thinking about something and my brain just goes, whoop, squirrel, just follow that squirrel. I just take a left turn into never, never land. And my kids are like, dad, dad, come back to us. Anybody ever have a parent in your life where they just like kind of veer off and then you're like, hello, earth to dad, earth to mom. Yeah, some of your kids are like lifting your hands in the back. <laughs> it's your kids, by the way. <laughs> and it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy for us to just get distracted. And the next thing you know, it's like you ever watch YouTube and then you watch another video and then you watch another video or you're, oh, here's, here's the new one. You're laying in bed and you're watching Instagram reels and then an hour and a half goes by. I'm so bad at this, you guys. You can ask my wife. She's like, stop doing that. I'm like, it's just so easy. The, the videos just keep happening and they're so funny. And it's just, it's, but you know what it's doing? It's like reprogramming us to be like, and we just have no focus <laughs> and we're not making the best use of our time. Making the best use of our time requires us to be intentional. Say intentional. Intentionality is the art of being purposeful. I like that. Some might say that it's even a lost art in our culture because many of us prefer being casual over being intentional. Can I say that again? Many of us prefer being casual in our relationships. We're talking about relationships versus being intentional. But I want you to pause with me for a moment. I want us just to think about this and reflect on how intentional Jesus was with the people in his life. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He visited them in their homes. He went to their weddings. He even attended their funerals, although he kind of messed that up when he raised Lazarus from the grave. But he spent intentional time with people that he was building relationships with. He even had an inner circle of friends Right, Peter, James, and John that he was even closer with. He would take them up on the mountain with him and they got to experience things because he was slowing down, he was showing up, and he was noticing what was going on. Here's, here's I think, our challenge, okay? And, and I'm guilty of this too. But sometimes when we're with people, we can be guilty of not really showing up. You ever been in a room with someone who's not in the room with you? Yeah, so easy to do, right? But Jesus was so perfect at this. He would, he would come into an environment like with, with people and he would just, just engage. Sometimes he'd sit down and he'd just eat and he'd just talk and he'd just... I think sometimes we have a really religious picture of Jesus, but Jesus knew how to perfectly engage with people. So much so that he would just slow down and he would be responsive to them. He'd lean in, he'd be present. And that's really what God wants for us in our lives, especially when we're connecting with other people, when we're building relationships, because relationships matter. And this is one of the ways that God is gonna help you lead other people to Christ, is through your relationships. So how are your relationships today? That's the question I'm asking. 
Now, most of us aren't going to have a platform and a, and a, a big, you know, giant ministry to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of people. But every single one of us, every single one of you has been given a platform to share the gospel with people. And this happens in your family. It happens in your workplace. It happens among your friend groups. That is the platform that God wants you to live in. And that's the place where you're going to build relationships. What if we were willing to just be a little more intentional with the way that we actually went about building relationships with people and helping them come to know Jesus? And what if I, I told you that actually in the next couple of weeks, we are doing this as a church together, that we've actually created a way for this to happen. We call it Alpha, and rather than just tell you about Alpha, I want you to take a look. Let's go ahead and roll that video. Life is busy. Every day we ask questions like, what's happening today? What should I wear? How am I gonna fit everything in? But then there are bigger questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? These are some of life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through. That's why Alpha exists. Alpha is a place to explore life's big questions in a safe and open environment. It's a series of sessions where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions and ask questions without feeling judged. When you come to an Alpha, you'll notice that first, there's food. Whether it's a full meal or a light snack, this is the time to get to know each other in a casual setting. Next, you'll watch an Alpha Talk. The talks are created to engage and spark conversation. They explore big issues around faith from a Christian perspective. After the talk is a time for discussion. This is the most essential part of any Alpha. It allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented in the talks. It's a time for people with different thoughts, beliefs, and experiences to ask honest questions and have open conversation. Every week, there are guests coming for the first time to an Alpha in their community. Alpha is for everyone, regardless of background or beliefs. There's no pressure, no follow-up, and it's completely free to attend. Come and explore life's big questions. Find an Alpha near you today. On April 12th, which is a couple of Wednesdays from now, we're gonna be kicking off Alpha. And we're gonna be hosting it at the Honeysuckle Coffee Company in Salt Lake City. Come on, it's gonna be good. Yes. And it's gonna be from 6.30 p.m. to eight. If you have that slide, let's go ahead and put that slide up there with some of that information. Thank you guys. And it's gonna be every Wednesday from April 12th through June 14th. So it's about 10 weeks long. But here's why Alpha works. Alpha works because of the power of relationships, because of the power that happens when we're able to share our story in a way that's safe and conversational. The data actually shows that more people will come if invited. So we want to ask the question, who would you be willing to invite? Now, if you've got notes and you're taking notes or you have a smartphone, take it out. And here's what we want to do. We want you to, to list three names that over the next two weeks you're gonna pray about, and we want you to invite one of those names to come and attend Alpha on Wednesday night. 
And as I said, it's going to be an awesome time for us to help people engage, to build relationships, to hear the story of Jesus. It starts with the big questions of life, like, why are we here? What's my purpose? Does God exist? If he does, what's he like? What about Jesus? What about the resurrection? What about the Holy Spirit? Why is there so much pain and suffering and evil in the world? What do we do with that? And does God still heal today? Is God still at work today? What about the church? What's the church up to? All kinds of great questions from a Christian perspective that are going to help people come to know Jesus in a powerful and practical way. I'm really excited about it. So the good news is if you and I are willing to just invite somebody, they're going to come. And we're going to have opportunity for you to do that next week with Easter Sunday, but also with Alpha coming up on Wednesdays at the Honeysuckle Coffee Company, which means there'll probably be some, some coffee, I would think. Definitely some food. So come, come join us. If you want to sign up for Alpha too, I should make mention of this. Uh, you can go to the back after the service is over. You can sign up at the Connect Center. They've got some information on that. Pastor Camps will give you some more details here in a minute. All right, so number one today, we've got to be willing to share our story. Number two, we've got to be willing to build relationships with others. And then finally, number three, we've got to be willing to invest in the next generation. Do you know that God really cares about our kids? And for some of you that don't have kids yet, that's okay. You, you fall into this category too. But God actually really cares about the next generation. He does. Can I tell you something? The reason why God hates divorce, I'm going to just get real for a few moments here, okay? The reason why God is against divorce isn't for the reasons that you probably think. Some of you are like, all right, where is he going to go with this? I want to challenge you today. I want to just kind of offer you a different perspective on why I believe God is against divorce. And it has a lot more to do with the next generation. Listen to what Malachi chapter 2 says, verse 14 through 16. He says, you cry out, let's put it up there. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Verse 15, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Let's go to the next screen. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does God want? That's kind of a good question to answer. What does God want? Here it is. He wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Why does God hate divorce? Because he wants godly children from your union. What does this mean, Pastor Jason? It means that he cares about the next generation. He cares about our kids. He cares about who's going to be here after you're gone and after I'm gone. He cares about it. He's a generational thinking God, and there are generational consequences to our lives and to our union and our relationships that matter to him. This is why salvation is not just about us. It's also about those that come after us. And I'm thankful that my parents, who were first-generation Christians, drew a line in the sand and said, we're going to follow Jesus. They came out of agnostic and atheistic homes. And when they came to Christ, they made a decision that had effects and consequences for me. And those decisions and those effects and consequences also affect my children and their children because, godly want, because God wants godly children from your marriage because he's a generational thinking God. He's a next generational impact thinking God. Culturally, it's so sad to me what's happened because we stopped caring about our kids. 
If you look at what's happened in the home, even after World War II, and you look at the data, it's shocking. I'm talking about from the greatest generation to baby boomers, to millennials, to Gen uh, Z, and then now Gen Alpha, which is like my kid's generation. We've seen the rise of what I'm calling the three Ds. What are the three Ds, Pastor Jason? Divorce, debt, and death. We've seen the divorce rate go up. We've seen the debt to income ratio go up. We've seen death by drugs and suicide go up. It's amazing to me how many children are wrestling with this in their schools right now as I speak. Kids at home. Vaping meth, contemplating suicide because mom and dad decided to split up. And mom and dad probably decided to split up because they fought over finances and pressure and all that, right? And the debt and everything else. It's amazing how interconnected these realities are. But church, we've got to be willing to take a stand and to say not on our watch, not in our generation. We've got to be willing to invest in our children's lives. And because we have kids killing themselves both physically and spiritually who need a courageous follower of Jesus to come along and say, hey, you know what? Follow me as I follow Jesus. You're not alone. You don't have to be forgotten. Amen? And we do this. We invest in our kids' lives. We, we, we do this every Sunday at 9 a.m. with our sixth through ninth grade students. This is, this is the call. It's not just, oh, we, we want... We want to put together, uh, you know, an hour of entertainment or we want to have something for them to do while mom and dad are busy. No, this is, this is us picking up this mantle and saying, not on my watch. We're going to invest in the next generation. And we do this every Sunday at 10 a.m. through our kids ministry, through our ministry to babies through fifth grade. It's us saying, no, we want God's best for your life because you matter to him. Amen. And because our children matter to God, they should matter to us. And that's part of our challenge today. And young people, let me address you just for a moment. Don't underestimate the power of your willingness to speak up and to stand up for what's right in your life and even at your schools. Don't be afraid to stand for something. Don't be afraid of rejection because they rejected Jesus and they're gonna probably reject you too. But also, there were many that received Jesus and there are many that will receive you as well. You'd be surprised what happens when one person decides to step out and become a leader and not just a follower. So willing to follow Jesus, to take people with them. I wonder if I'm speaking to any godly leaders today. Come on, young people. This is the time. This is the hour. And if, us, if not us, who? Right? We can kick, keep kicking the can down to the next generation, the next, oh, they'll, they'll have to deal with it. Oh, we'll just straddle them with trillions of dollars of debt. No big deal. We're out of here in a couple years anyways. That's not a heavenly mindset, you guys. And that's not what we're called to as the church. We're called to invest in the next generation. So I wonder if, for those of you that have, that have answered this call and, and you've put your faith in Jesus, this is the call. It's to make disciples of, of all generations, of all nations. And I think it takes a real conviction to do that. Would you guys agree with that? It takes you and I being willing to share our story and build relationships and invest in people outside of ourselves, those that are coming up behind us. Amen? Someone once said this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. So who's going with you today? That's the question I want us to wrestle with as we leave this place today. Who's coming with me? Is it just you and the goldfish? 
Or have you paused to notice that there are others around you that God wants you to lead as well? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.